and each and every week it is a privilege for us to be able to gather around God's Word. As we come together, God is here. Uh, God is here before we get here, and He is present with His people, and He intends to speak to them through His Word. Thanks be to God. This morning, rather than resuming our series in Matthew, which we plan to do next week, it seemed wise to take time to step back and consider what God is doing in our midst in this season. As John mentioned, the last year, and in particular the last two and a half months, have been staggering in the life of our church. I remember hearing from, from Larry at his dad's death on August 12th. And then just the next day, Lauren Oxenford's mom, Bobby, died, who we had been praying for as a church. And then just eight days after that, Kathy Rohr, Walt's dear wife and Paul's mom, died. And then shockingly, on September 26th, we heard of Brian Story's death. And then we were shocked once again, just eight days ago, at Larry's death. Death has been our ever-present companion. And as Larry told me at lunch just 12 days ago, he said this, he said, Devin, I am so tired of death. And I find myself wholeheartedly agreeing with him. Y'all, I'm tired of death. I want death to be done. I find myself wishing that we could go back to a time and a season where it was easy not to talk about death or to think about death, if that season ever existed. And it's an interesting thing because we spend most of our lives, we live in a culture that spends all of its time, it seems, ignoring the reality of death, minimizing death, thinking of death as something we can deal with at some other point down the road. It seems we often live as if by ignoring death, maybe we can just make it go away. But death doesn't care what we think about it. Death doesn't care about our own comfort. Death doesn't care about our plans. It doesn't matter what we have going on in our lives, what we have planned for that day or for the future. Death doesn't come and knock at our door and wait for us to answer. Death barges in on our lives, on our plans, on our dreams, and threatens to turn them upside down. Death is a horrible and heartbreaking tragedy. Larry's death, Brian's death, Kathy's death, Mike's death, Denise's death, they shout out to us that this world is not as it should be. Something is desperately wrong. And so when death comes, it, it shocks and surprises us. It staggers us. Death's timing leaves us staggered, reeling, full of sorrow. But while we are surprised when death comes, we should not be surprised that death comes. Even as we were singing just a moment ago and the lights turn off, I'm not surprised that the lights turn off. They turn off every week. But I'm always surprised when they turn off because we have no idea when they're going to turn off. (laughs) 
So next week, when we're here, and the lights turn off, nobody's surprised, nobody flinches. We're surprised when it happens. But we shouldn't be surprised that it happens. And these deaths that our church has experienced, they, they tell us that we all, like them, we will one day die. One day your lights will turn off. Death is the sure end for each and every one of us. And we have many children in our midst. And children, death is your sure end. As the preacher of Ecclesiastes reminds us, he says, all share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. And this evil end, death, is the end for each one of us. Young and old, we will all die. So while the timing of death staggered us, staggers us, the reality of death should not surprise us. Death and grief, distress and sorrow are a fundamental part of the experience of the people of God. They're a fundamental part of the life of Grace Church. So affliction is not some unusual or abnormal event. It's not a temporary visitor. Sorrow is here to stay. It's a permanent feature of our lives. But for all those who place their faith in Jesus Christ, while we grieve death, though we are perplexed by death, though we are angered by death and the effects of death, we do not need to fear death. We do not need to despair in the face of death. We can go forward as those who are sorrowful, but always rejoicing. And as I prayed this week and considered what God might have for us this morning, as I talked with John and as I considered how God wants to address us, my heart and mind were drawn to a passage in 2 Corinthians 4, in verses 16 through 18. And you can turn there if you have your Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthian church in the midst of tremendous suffering. As he goes through great affliction. In 2 Corinthians 11, he describes some of what he has faced. He has been imprisoned and received countless beatings. He's been often near death. This is what he writes to the Corinthian church. In chapter 11, verse 24, he says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, lest one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. This is Paul, just speaking of his life. This is what he faced. Here is a man weighed down by suffering, burdened by affliction. And amid all of this, God inspired him to write this letter beginning with these words, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. 
so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Paul had come to know something of the mercy and comfort of God in the midst of his suffering, so he was able to bring comfort to others. And this morning, I don't have any secrets to disclose from God's Word. There's not some rock we haven't turned over and, oh, aha, this is it. This is what we've needed. I have no new message to bring, but only the same words of comfort. The gospel of Jesus Christ that we turn to week after work, week. And these, these words, they're sufficient for us in our time of need. They are true, containing no error. They are inspired and breathed out by God. Our task today is the same as it is every week that we gather together. We come to hear God speak. I'm here to hear God speak. You are here to hear God speak. We are creatures of the Word. God speak, speaks into nothing and creates something. That's what God does in His Word. God speaks to the dead and brings life. We are a community of the Word, created by God's Word. And we are all here to listen, that our minds would think on God, that our hands would obey God, that our affections would be drawn to God and the things of God. So may the Spirit give us ears to hear this morning. Hear the word of the Lord in our season of sorrow. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to walk through this text, and I have just three simple points this morning. The first is this. We do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. This is where Paul begins as he considers the hope that we have in God. Though there are reasons all around for us to lose heart, we do not lose heart. While we are afflicted in every way, we are not crushed. Though we are perplexed, we are not driven to despair. We are persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. And I want to give us two reasons why we do not lose heart. First, we do not lose heart because God goes with us. We do not lose heart because the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, the sovereign creator of all, he is the one who goes with us and preserves us. Our help comes from the one who made heaven and earth. Thus says the one who created and formed you, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So we do not lose heart because God goes with us. The second reason we do not lose heart is because God goes before us. God goes with us and God goes before us. As our Savior, He has brought us out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst 
our bonds apart. This was accomplished in Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 2, we read this, We see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. Jesus tasted death for us. He Himself partook of the same things that through death He might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. He became like us as a man so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He has fully paid for all our sins with His precious blood and set us free from the tyranny of the devil. Not only that, not only did He bring the death of death through His death, but He rose again and ascended to God's right hand. We have a living Savior, a living hope. And so Jesus declares this to the church, to us, in Revelation 1. He says, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died... And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. So though we find ourselves in this season of sorrow, we have hope and joy in the Lord our God, the Maker of heaven and earth, in God the Father who loves us, in God the Son who died to save us, and in God the Spirit who goes with us. When we face trials, when we face affliction, when we, when we face death, it can be easy for these things to take up all of our attention. Our problems fill the entire screen of our lives and crowd out everything else. But there is truth greater than what death says about us. There is a hope that far outweighs the pain of our grief. And that is the reality of who God is and what He has and will accomplish. So brothers and sisters... We do not lose heart. Second, second truth I want us to consider is that the things that are seen are passing away. The things that are seen are passing away. In our text, Paul draws out a series of, of contrasting realities. He makes several comparisons, and they all have to do with what we can and cannot see. So he begins in verse 16 by talking about our bodies. He says they are wasting away. And this is the outer self. Its outer self is meant to speak to our bodies in this life. All, of who we, all that we are in this life. And as we've already considered, we are a dying people. I am a dying man. Each of us is passing away. And there's nothing that can change this. Our outer self is wasting away. Nothing can completely stop it. We live in a culture that, that imagines that medicine can deliver us. That there's always a cure. There's always some answer if we can just find it. And we, as Christians, we're in danger of believing this lie as well. But we can't beat back death with medicine. It still comes. I heard someone say this. He said, modern medicine is to death what a comb over is to a balding scalp. Modern medicine is to death what a comb-over is to a balding scalp. We may shield reality for a time, but at some point the comb-over is no more than a monument to the power of baldness. 
The harder we try, the more obvious our weakness and the more obvious death's power. That's a humorous metaphor, but a deadly serious one. The harder we try to avoid death or, or stave off death, the more obvious our weakness and the more obvious death's power. The reality is that what we see is that our outer self is wasting away. In verse 17, Paul turns to talk about our affliction. And if we're honest, what Paul says here seems almost uncaring. And I even hesitated coming to this text just because it can seem so uncaring. We are here feeling the sorrow of loss, the pain of death. We are afflicted. And I'm standing here with Marilyn in front of me and Patty over here and Stephen right here and the pain that they are experiencing in their loss. And Paul describes this affliction, all the affliction that we face, as light momentary. This seems wrong. What we've experienced certainly doesn't feel momentary. What Marilyn and Jen and Stephen and Patty, what they're walking through is not light and momentary. This is our lives that we're talking about. It, it also certainly, it doesn't feel like this is something we can just wish away because it's not. But while this description feels wrong, we need to be careful not to misunderstand what Paul is writing here. Our text does nothing to deny our affliction, to ignore our pain. It doesn't say that what we face isn't real. In fact, as I already talked about, Paul goes into detail to describe the severity of his own affliction, the greatness of his own need, his own weakness. Paul also doesn't say that when we face affliction, when we face our greatest trials, that we should just get over it, just push through. God's greater, don't worry about it. It's not what Paul says at all. He doesn't say, just exert enough willpower and survive. You'll get through this. No, Paul talks about our affliction as that which we see. It's a very present reality. That which is readily apparent around us. It's, it's what makes up our lives. But yet, Paul still talks about it as light and momentary. Why? How? Because the things that are seen are passing away. Thanks be to God, there will come an end to all of our affliction. And in light of this end, in comparison to this end, our affliction can be described as light, momentary affliction. You see, Paul actually does nothing to minimize the weight or length of our suffering. He's not minimizing it. He's not wishing it away. Instead, he wants us to notice that our bodies are wasting away. He wants to recognize that we are indeed afflicted. He wants to look these things in the face. Because if we pay attention to all that is passing away, we will be able to behold the beautiful promise of glory. Through his comparisons, he intends to maximize the promise of glory. He wants our eyes fixed on our hope, on the glory in store for all those who trust in Jesus. 
Paul is not saying that our problems are no big deal, just light and momentary. He's making a comparison. Paul writes that our affliction is light and momentary when compared with the great weight of eternal glory. Which brings us to our third point. The things that are unseen are eternal. It was embarrassingly late in my life when I realized that the FedEx logo actually had a picture in the middle of it. And it's uh, a, 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 a artist trick called using negative space. And through the FedEx logo, you, what we see is FedEx. We see these words spelled out, F-E-D-E-X. But if you look at the negative space, if you look at what's not there, you see an arrow pointing forward. And some of you, it's even more late, embarrassingly late in your life that you're now finding this out. <laughs> Paul is doing something of the same thing here. He's saying, look, look at your affliction. Look at all that is passing away. And let that help you to see what we cannot see. He wants to help us grasp that which is unseen. You see, it's hard for us to long for glory. Our problems, I mentioned earlier, they, they fill up the screen of our lives. They take up all the space. They crowd everything else out. The world, the, the cares of this world, they, they consume our thoughts, our affections, our actions, our imaginations. And so we just want to hold on to that which we can see. We want to hold on often to that which is passing away. And Paul is saying, if we long to prolong this life, which is filled with trials and affliction, which is passing away, how much more, how much more should we long for the life to come, which will be full of happiness and never come to an end? Puritan pastor Thomas Manton in the, in the 17th century, he wrote this. He said, all the honors of the world which dazzle men's eyes are vain and slippery. The riches which captivate their hearts are uncertain and perishing. And the pleasures which enchant them pass away as a wind. Death will put an end to them, though they often fail most men before. But this happiness, this promised happiness, this glory will be extended throughout millions of ages. For all eternity we will sing God's praise. While Paul has pointed to that which we see, which is passing away, he, he compares it to our inner self, which is being renewed day by day. Just a couple weeks ago, we, we took time to consider the, the steadfast love of the Lord, which never ceases. His mercies that never come to an end, they are new every morning. And for those who are in Christ, your inner self, that which will live on for eternity is being renewed day by day. What a wonderful, wonderful truth. And then in verse 17, he talks about how our afflictions that we see, look at what he says. He says they are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The affliction that we go through, that we face, this season of sorrow that we in is meant to move us on ahead 
to this eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And what Paul says here is he's descri- like he doesn't have the words to describe this glory. All of his words, they're, they're too weak to express the happiness of heaven. And so Paul is here by saying the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Literally, it's a surpassing unto surpassing eternality. Like that doesn't even make sense to me. That's what Paul, Paul is just saying. It is so great, so far beyond what you can imagine, what you can comprehend, this glory that awaits. And this glory, rather than being light like our affliction, is weighty. Rather than being momentary like our affliction, which will come to an end, is eternal. Thanks be to God. I heard someone once ask if you've ever noticed how easy it can be to tune out audio, but how hard it is to tune out video. So imagine you go into a Walmart or a Target or a Costco or wherever, and you're standing in front of all those bright, high-definition, big-screen TVs. They capture your attention. Your eyes, they're, they're fixed on them. There could be music playing overhead. There could be an announcement being made. But it's very easy to tune that out when your eyes are fixed on those bright screens. It's easy to tune out what we hear, but it's much harder to ignore what we see. And every day we face the promises of God. New mercies each morning and the cares of this world. Which will be in audio and which will be in video for you? Which will have our attention? Which will have our affections? How do we get the promises of God in that high-definition video? Just one small point of application on that. It's, it, it happens through prayer. It happens through prayer as we express our dependence on God, our need for God, our faith in God's promises, our faith in the fact that God is who He says He is in His Word. So we come to Him in prayer day after day after day. We want to be a people of prayer. Pastor Matthew McCullough, he writes this, When the promises of God are vivid before our minds and warm in our hearts, the problems of life can't compare with what we have in Christ. Brothers and sisters, when God is at work, we we can try to trace His hand at times. Yet what we're only able to comprehend might be one or two things that God is doing. But God is at work in countless ways in our midst. In ways that we we cannot see, but we trust. And so as we, we look for the hand of His providence, as we trust His sovereign hand in our season of sorrow, we want to be reminded of our eternal hope, of the glory that awaits us. We want to speak this truth to our souls. This is an old hymn. Be still, my soul, when dearest friends depart. And all is darkened in the veil of tears. Then may you better know His love, His heart, who comes to soothe your sorrows and your fears. Be still, my soul, your Jesus can repay from His own fullness 
all he takes away. Be still, my soul, the hour is hastening on when we shall be forever with the Lord. When disappointment, grief, and fear are gone, sorrow forgot, love's purest joys restored. Be still, my soul, when change and tears are past. All safe and blessed, we shall meet at last. Though we grieve the reality of death this morning, though we are full of sorrow, we trust in the one who preserves us. We trust in the one who goes before us, who goes with us, who is underneath us, who is above us, who hems us in behind and before, who numbers all of our days, the one who at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. So it's to him we look and in him we trust. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we pray with David, make us to know our end and what is the measure of our days. Let us know how fleeting we are We are those who are wasting away, not only us, but all that is around us. What we see is is transient, it's passing away. But thanks be to God, that includes our afflictions. It includes our trials. It includes our sorrow. It includes death itself. Thank you, God, that one day what is now unseen will be seen. A day is coming when every tear will be wiped away and death will be no more. Thanks be to God that there will be a day when we need be tired of death no more. Help us to live in light of that day. Help us to know the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison that awaits us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.